0: How can America address the drugs and people smuggled into the country by Mexican drug cartels? This is Brief Before Impact. Hey, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode this week. I am Matt Parker. Tonight's episode is going to be discussing the drug cartels operating in Mexico and the threat that they face and pose to the United States and our citizens. Like most of these episodes, I talk about these issues because I want to know more about them personally, and I find that as I dive into each topic, they affect and can affect either myself, friends, family, and I assume that for anyone who listens to me on a consistently basis, you believe the same, which is why you want to stay up to date on these issues. So tonight, as I discuss the cartels, I'm going to give you an overview of how they've been operating, the items they're smuggling into our country, some opinions on what it would take to defeat the cartels and then finally closing out with kind of most likely and most dangerous courses of action. Before I start, let me do a quick ad break and then we will get to work. All right, welcome back everyone. So let's talk about cartels, especially in say the last two or three years in the world of COVID, how have their efforts been uh, impacted and where have they been driving to? Or what is this assessment of the United States Homeland Security? So according to a congressional research service report, Mexico is a primary producer and transit country for illicit drugs destined to the United States. Policymakers, including many in Congress, have closely watched how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting illicit drug flow patterns out of Mexico, including the flow of potent opioids. Any change could affect the extent to which the Mexico-based transnational criminal organizations, those are also known as TCOs, popularly described as cartels, how they pose a law enforcement and national security threat to the United States. Despite early supply chain disruptions, U.S.-bound illicit drug suppliers appear to have returned to pre-pandemic levels. Illicit fentanyl flows in particular appear to be thriving. Illicit drug flows according to various press, think tank, U.S. government, United Nations reports, the pandemic's effect on Mexico-based drug production, and trafficking has been mixed. Early COVID-19-related lockdowns and slowdowns in container trade and port activity, particularly in China and India, appeared to have caused temporary shortages in precursor chemicals used to synthesize methamphetamine and fentanyl, short-term product shortages, and price increases. Some reports indicated tra- Mexican traffickers stockpiled resources, including cash, uncertain of how COVID-19 would affect law enforcement attention on the illicit dra- drug trade. Several high-profile seizures in 2020 suggested potential trafficker miscalculations, as cartels adapted to the COVID-19 operating environment. Such seizures, however, also indicated that illicit drugs and money continued to flow along the U.S.-Mexico traffic corridors. The pandemic doesn't appear to have diminished the extensive criminal and political power of mexico's criminal organizations in october 2022 or excuse, october 2020 homeland security report uh, named mexican cartels as a key threat to the u.s homeland because of the cartel's ability to control territory and trafficking routes along the u.s southwest border and to co-opt officials at various levels of government mexico cartels control the movement of most foreign illicit drugs trafficked into the united states including heroin fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamine, and marijuana. According to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA, this report published in 2021, the Sinaloa Cartel and Jalisco New Generation Cartel have shown, quote, signs of expansion in Mexico and have increased their productions and pill pressing. Overall, this report highlights essentially the the maintenance and the continued growth of Mexican cartels and the threat that their drugs pose to the United States. Uh, the point I wanted to pull out from this report specifically was uh, something earlier I mentioned on about the effects of COVID-19 that had on supply chains and that lockdowns and slow slowdowns affected uh, activity particularly out of China and India. The reason why I bring that back to your attention is because so many of the chemicals required to create certain drugs such as methamphetamine and fentanyl, they come directly from these countries like China and India. There's always a rippling effect of foreign policy and anything that affects us Americans. So, the subject of tonight's episode is about Mexican drug cartels, but in fact, there are ripples and ties to countries beyond Mexico and to countries like China, who is one of America's top adversaries. So, there are many Lines in this web when it comes to the drug issue. I just wanted to point that out as you're thinking about how cartels are operating and is in fact a global operation required uh, from many places to produce the drugs that are inflowing into our country. Let me pivot for a moment to discussing how drug cartels are viewed and how they could be viewed in terms of an enemy to the United States. Everyone who's ever watched a news report. About Mexican drug cartels are aware of the um, the strong violence in which these organizations operate, um, the acts that drug cartels have done to human beings in Mexico that appear to be a you know, threaten their operations are too gruesome to name on a podcast. It's rather disturbing, and I only point that out because if in fact we are dealing with extremely violent organizations, it's key for law enforcement purposes that they identify them and um, recognize them in such terms, allowing law enforcement to have the tools they need to fight back. And this brings us to the question is if drug cartels do in fact have this long reach into the United States and their drugs are killing Americans. And we'll get into those numbers in a little bit. Should they be treated as terrorists or merely as a criminal organization? I'm not advocating for either as I'm diving into this, but I did want to point out uh, a particular report uh, written by uh, Scott England. He's writing for War on the Rocks, and he points out that in early November 2019, there were nine dual U.S.-Mexican citizens killed in Mexico. Okay, these are nine people. and It was a terrifying attack by suspected members of a drug trafficking cartel. Three women and six children, including two infants, were shot or burned alive in a three-car convoy near the U.S. border. One child was shot in the back trying to escape the massacre. And this ambush highlights the rising violence attributed to drug cartels in Mexico. Now, in response, Donald Trump, who was president at the time, tweeted that this was the time the United States to wage war on the drug cartels and wipe them off of the face of the earth, end quote. Later in an interview, Trump said he intended to designate truff, drug traffic cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. Now, this is where Scott England begins to highlight his opinions on what we should do here. The United States, in England's view, should not designate drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations for two reasons. First, drug cartels are not terrorists or insurgents trying to remove or replace the government. Which These are key components of terrorist or insurgent movements is that they are in fact are trying to make very much a political movement in replacing the current government that they are beneath at that time. Rather, England argues cartels are criminal organizations focused solely on maximizing their income. Now secondly, designating the cartels terrorist will do nothing to restrain cartel violence and may actually make matters worse. It could also poison relations with Mexico, an imperfect but vital partner in combating drug trafficking. Using such designation as a predicate for U.S. military activity in Mexico would, say, to say the least, be unwelcome and ineffective. Though the cartels are violent organizations that pose a risk to U.S. interests, misapplying a terrorist organization designation would be a serious mistake. And I think England brings up a an interesting point that highlights what is the goal of cartels. Number one, and he emphasizes it's merely just to bring maximize their income. And secondly, would it actually benefit America from labeling them terrorists, which would give us more tools to go after them and attack them? Um, the de- the destabilizing how do I say this? The destabilizing effect of going after cartels like they are a terrorist the destabilizing effect that would have on the relationship between Mexico and the United States would far um, do more damage than it would to benefit this issue of drugs entering the country. And this is the opinion he's making. I think there's some validity to this. And if we're going to point a finger or decide like, all right, how do we start attributing the right resources to this issue? I think it's important first to address what is Mexico doing, because these in fact, these groups are operating in their territory. You've heard me say this in previous podcasts about future wars and you know, in my opinion, will be specifically over ungoverned territory or ungoverned spaces where there is a lack of institutional governance to maintain order. Northern Mexico, where the cartels predominantly operate, I think could be viewed in this way. And there's a, a reason that, you know, Mexico as a government have utilized the military and they've utilized their police in the past, but there's more There's more than just like, well, why doesn't Mexico do, go do this? There is much more to it than that. And I'm going to point out a, a few things here of what Mexico's efforts have been. Uh, in a recent issue, this is according to uh, The Guardian and France 24 News, Mexico dissolved a special unit trained by U.S. authorities, that was in charge of fighting drug cartels because that group, this unit, was infiltrated by criminals and the president of Mexico had said some of the members have been detained over those allegations. This is highlights a, a tremendous issue going on inside Mexico broadly, is just the level of corruption. From the lowest levels of just your, a cop on the beat all, all the way to the national government, Corruption between the private sector and the government actors has uh, plagued that country and its ability to be effective at um, de- defeating drug cartels. Now, Mexico isn't currently fighting against the drug cartels, but they're preventing each of them from entering the other's turf and fighting each other, which was a fascinating approach on how they're doing that on a tactical basis. So you've got Mexican army and police essentially driving alongside the borders between the regions where these cartels live and operate, ensuring that one cartel doesn't go into the other cartel's turf, and they're just trying to maintain regional stability. Uh, security analyst Alejandro Hope says that the government's strategy is clearly a, quote, some sort of non-aggression pact. There is something like an increasingly explicit attempt to administer the conflict, they, the soldiers, are not there to disarm the two sides, but rather to prevent the conflict from spreading. The problem is that we don't know where the army draws that line, what they are willing to accept. And this is essentially, I think, the, what the Mexican government has decided to do. If we can't just flat out defeat Mexican drug cartels, can we at least maintain the status quo in order to, to prevent escalatory violence? Now, the United States and the Mexico have set out to discuss an overhaul to their joint fight against drug cartels. Uh, the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken visited Mexico to discuss just this. However, uh, Mexican President uh, Obrador said that he no longer wants to accept helicopter gunships and other weapons to combat drug traffickers on benefit of the United States. Rather, he's urging the United States to invest in regional economic development instead. Now, Ahead of Blinken's visit, Washington had already indicated that they were ready to revamp this 13-year-old program. The program uh, was called the Merida Initiative, and what it did essentially provided U.S. military firepower, uh, technical support, and security training to the Mexican authorities to uh, defeat the cartels. In the the view, at least, of President Obrador in Mexico, this has not been effective. Rather, he's looking at saying, Let's invest in a regional economic development, assuming here that Oberdor believes that it's the lack of opportunity economically which is driving so many young individuals to join the cartels uh, and become further foot soldiers uh, for their different, the different cartels operating in Mexico. Now, many experts believe that the strategy of militarization, the gunships, the firepower, etc., that strategy has failed because it has resulted in the cartels being fragmented into smaller, more violent cells while drugs can continue to flood into the United States. This is an issue historically whenever you're dealing with um, a, a movement, a violent movement of any kind. When you have one lead over a violent movement, it's one individual to focus on, and how do we combat that individual's goals and motives? Now, whenever a large organization splinters off into multiple pieces, each with their own ambitions. This is where the escalatory violence can really take off between each other and against the United States' efforts. Now the, the new security framework that's being discussed, it's it will focus not just on crime, but also under the underlying cause of crime. And this reiterates uh, the, the desire for economic development inside Mexico by the Mexican government, rather than just a purely a military and security approach. Uh, which was remained to be seen if this kind of economic development approach would be successful in deterring future you know future generations to joining the cartels again this is going to have to be a holistic solution uh, and no one lever to pull is going to is going to fix it so with the background of how drug cartels are operating what the mexican government sees to be the solution let me give you the 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 numbers particularly the human trafficking and drug deaths that are affecting you and I, our communities here in the United States and around the world as well in terms of the the global problem of uh, human trafficking and drug trafficking. Now, according to U.S. Border Patrol, as well as the Border Report, at any given time, in 2016, okay, a few years ago, an estimated 40 million people were in modern slavery. And that includes 24.9 million in forced labor, and 15.4 million in forced marriage. It means that 5.4 victims of modern slavery for every 1,000 people in the world. Those are staggering numbers. One in four victims of modern slavery are kids, they're children. Now, out of the 24.9 million people trapped in forced labor, 16 million people are exploited in the private sector, such as domestic work, construction or agriculture, 4.8 million persons are forced in sexual exploitation, and 4 million persons in forced labor imposed by state authorities. Lastly, women and girls are disproportionately affected by forced labor, accounting for 99% of victims in the commercial sex industry, and about 58% in other sectors. These numbers are st- disturbing to say the least, and despite the wealth and technology that the you know, at least the West is afforded the global issue of poverty is certainly not been solved, and and you have so many millions of people finding themselves dis, dis, disaffected and in, um, in these terrible situations. Uh, again, a report coming from the uh, the border report, uh, border patrol agent Valeria Morales has said that the cartels have been focusing on human smuggling. Because it's extremely profitable, you know. You were normally more accustomed to the issue of drugs flowing through the border, but human smuggling has certainly been on the rise. Quote: A lot of these transnational criminal organizations push the limits because they're making a lot of money from human smuggling. They charge between eight to fifteen thousand people. uh, Excuse me, fifteen thousand dollars, depending on the person and where they're coming from. Uh, The Again, the Border report, report has said that the agency busted 300-plus stash houses so far in fiscal year 2021. This is where they, the cartels put people to hide once they're inside the United States. And in those busts, the agents apprehended more than 3,200 immigrants or migrants. Those numbers are up from 66 busts and 487 migrants the year before in fiscal year 2020. That's a huge leap in just a pure 12-month period. Now, South American drug cartels are um, minting money by separating children from their parents and having their members pose as the children's relatives in order just to cross the, the border into the United States. Mexico's dangerous criminal syndicates have amassed more than or as much as $14 million a day in a single month by smuggling people into the United States, while America is facing one of the biggest surge of migrants at the southwestern border. The notorious drug cartels took advantage of that border crisis and used children as decoys for human trafficking, uh, according to the U.S.-Mexico Border Police. Before we move on to drug death, when you think about the issue of where you stand personally on border security, if you want to detach for a moment on whether the best approach to having a wall that spans from all the way to the western tip of California Across the further step of Texas that touches the Mexico border, or you think that's a poor approach to the problem, when we should focus on different technologies or uh, more more border patrol agents, etc. I think we're splitting hairs to the point on the effect of policy in that regard when we're debating on whether people should have the right to flow freely from the Mexican border to the United States or not, because there are the political conversations currently in the United States debating the very idea if you even need to have uh, any justification at all to come to the United States from the southern border or you shouldn't. And this is the, I think what's slowing down the the solving of this problem for Mexican drug cartels is we're debating kind of the basics here of border security and how are we supposed to come up as a country with a consistent policy that can address these issues when we're into debate just the, the kind of the most basic fundamentals of their argument? So with the human tra- trafficking issue, now that you have those numbers in your mind, let's turn towards the drug deaths, a little more common to what we're more familiar with. Now, according to the Council of Foreign Relations, the United States is grappling with one of its worst ever drug crises. Uh, more than 1,500 people per week die of opioid related overdoses. 1,500 per week. That's a toll that has spiked across the country since the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, meanwhile, millions of more Americans suffer from opioid addiction. Uh, analysts say the problem started with an overprescription of legal pain medications, but note that this has intensified in recent years with an influx of cheap heroin and synthetic opioids, particularly fentanyl supplied by foreign-based drug cartels. The opioid crisis has become a national security concern. Most of the heroin coming to the United States is cultivated on poppy farms in Mexico, with several, several major cartels controlling production and operating distribution hubs in the United States. Mexican cartels, which the DEA calls the greatest drug trafficking threat to the United States, typically smuggle narcotics through the U.S. southwest border in commercial and passenger vehicles and via underground tunnels. Large quantities of heroin are also produced in South American countries, particularly Colombia, and traffic to the United States by air and sea. Although most of the world's heroin comes from Afghanistan, only a small portion of the US supply is produced there. Most fentanyl in the United States is smuggled across the southern border. Uh, although fentanyl coming directly from China, previously the dominant source, has significantly decreased since 2019. Experts note that many drug shipments from China are merely being rerouted through Mexico. Mexican cartels will, quote, almost certainly have the greatest direct impact on the U.S. fentanyl market in the coming years, according to the DEA. 1,500 individuals a week are dying from that opioid related overdoses. And we've, I'm sure, we've all seen the issue of. Drug use, domestic abuse, um, these kind of issues being increased during the isolation and the lockdowns of COVID-19. And though there was temporary um, supply chain disruptions, it doesn't appear that the drug cartels have really slowed their operations in supplying Americans with these drugs. And this is such a long stream Effects. Or we're not just talking about Mexican cartels, but you heard me mention the production of cocaine from Colombia, uh, Afghanistan, where the world's most of the world's heroin comes from. Uh, obviously, China with fentanyl. Uh, it is certainly a global issue with very tactical threat to Americans in the homeland, and it has to be it has to be dis- fought in some more effective way. Which leads us right into what are some approaches that are being advocated. Um, and when I was diving into these. These are the couple of opinions I'm going to give you um, are are from folks who've studied this and kind of this is the conclusions they've reached. And I still have to be honest, I'm still developing what is going to be the most effective approach to combating this because most of these arguments that I'll highlight here are related just to the drug issue and not at all to the issue of the 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 desire for the drugs you know you mentioned overly prescribed legal medications as kind of a start to the opioid crisis as an example but americans in large numbers are trying to numb themselves to so much of the daily life i understand why part of that happens life can be extremely hard and difficult and tragedies can happen to individuals and sometimes you just want to cope by being numb to it i get it i really do but i think the increase in numbers and of both the deaths and the addictions and the crime surrounding the trade of drugs has to be an indicator of something more deeper this podcast isn't really designed to address those issues but i have to, i continue to think of that as i'm going through these a few of these highlighted examples of what america could do to change this course of uh, the course of action to fighting the drug cartels so as an example according to international affairs uh, cartels have a stronghold on the public sector there in mexico efforts to end that stronghold have been unsuccessful partially due to the inattention uh, to the extent that their political their social and their economic power many cartels have infiltrated government institutions uh, they control highways in geographical region, regions throughout Mexico. The largest cartels employ thousands of workers. In contrast, the government's anti-cartel effort it's underresourced. You know, approximately about 120,000 policing positions in Mexico are unoccupied. Police that are vastly outnumbered <clears throat> compared to organizations such as like the Sinaloa cartel or the Los Cetas. Um, with approximately 100,000 foot soldiers between those two cartels. Now consequently, the Mexican state isn't strong enough to f- control violence. The main reason Mexico can't afford new officers is the low income offered to police officers. Mexican police officers pay is comparable to like unskilled workers. You know, police officers low pay is indicative of a broader problem, uh, a lack of unemployment or a lack of employment opportunities. Youth unemployment is between seven point five and eight percent. Now double the unemployment rate for the general population of working age. And the minimum wage is so low it's about approximately eight US dollars per day. Now that Mexico's disenfranchised turn to the drug economy to escape poverty. Cartels in Mexico employ an estimated half a million people directly. So therefore, the cartel's strength is somewhat due to their ability to create paid jobs. Additionally, Mexico has the highest levels of impunity in Latin America. 90% of drug crimes in Mexico go unpunished. Officers, the judici- judiciary, uh, political leaders, they're all easily susceptible to bribery. The result is a corrupt Mexican leadership and cartels powerful enough to withstand uh, you know, opposition. An effective strategy against cartels therefore must address, number one, the high levels of impunity causing the corruption in the military, the police, the government, and number two, the high levels of unemployment forcing people into the drug industry. Like I've mentioned before, areas of low governments or ungoverned areas, because there's a lack of institutional, strong institutional governance, this is exactly what I'm talking about, is this example here in Mexico, where the Mexican government at so many levels is corrupt, it can't control its own territory where the cartels operate. A few other approaches to this situation would be, according to a report by Vox, uh, is threefold, three options here. Number one, you pull back harsh enforcement, but you keep criminalization, something the United States could could do. Rather than say a low-level offense of you know, a certain amount of ounces of marijuana or other drugs, rather than um, putting s- so many people in jails for s- those kind of crimes, um, lighten up in that area from an enforcement perspective, but still keep the criminalization of the drug, which leads into approach number two, decriminalization of the drugs, but with smart prohibition and smart legalization. Let me highlight, bring those out a bit. Smart prohibition. What is that? This would focus on penalizing and preventing problematic behaviors and actions surrounding drugs rather than punishing mere drug use. For example, drug users could be punished for repeatedly stealing things to pay for that drug habit, but they would not be strictly punished if their drug habit was not harming anyone. This is like someone advocating You are, uh, uh, here in Texas, for example, where I live, marijuana is still illegal. If you were only smoking marijuana in your house and you never drove while high or something along those lines, you shouldn't be punished for anything. However, if, I don't know, my drug use led to me losing my job and I had to go steal things just to keep my drug use going, this is what would be punished, Um, and To the extent someone is punished, sentences would be generally lower and not carry as many punishments after jail or prison time. So, convicted drug offenders wouldn't be barred as they are today from obtaining, like, student loans or voting. So, this is the idea of smart prohibition, smart legalization. This would allow the use of sales of certain drugs while minimizing the commercialization of legal drugs. By, for example, putting the state government in charge of drug sales, or only allowing nonprofits to sell drugs, this is the idea of how you would allow people to access legally certain drugs, but not entirely allowing the the private sector to come in and treat this as a as, a, as an enterprise. Rather, the government or nonprofit would be in charge of selling such drugs. Lastly, the final approach: legalize and tightly regulate all drugs. So how would that actually function? First of all, you could have a, have like medically supervised venues. You know, this is drugs put in this category, like including heroin or amphetamines would only be allowed with prescription, typically for people with drug use disorders and direct supervision of a trained expert like a doctor in a controlled facility. Second would be like pharmacies, drugs in that tier such as MDMA, powder cocaine, Or amphetamine would only be dispensed through pharmacies with a prescription or over the counter. While it is currently the case that pharmacies focus on medical applications, the blueprint suggests that pharmacists could also act as trained and licensed gatekeepers for drugs used in recreational settings. Third would be like licensed sales. So, drugs in this classification, like marijuana or stimulant based drinks, would be dispensed by licensed. Regulated vendors. These sellers don't have to be for profit entities. They could be nonprofits or government controlled. Licensed premises. Uh, These regulated establishments would dispense drugs uh, such as smoked opium, psychedelics, or poppy tea, much like alcohol is sold and consumed in bars today. Although, in some cases, as with psychedelics, the vendors would need training to help guide people through their experiences. Lastly, unlicensed sales, drugs in that category like cocoa tea, would be available easily, much like caffeine. These are just a handful of approaches that are being advocated by some of how we could diminish the power, diminish the impact of drug cartels, um, both from the actual drugs that they're bringing into the country as well as the violence that goes around their operations and how we could manage this drug issue in a more effective way. Now, From a course of action perspective, something I always want to provide to anyone who listens to me is basically where do I see this thing going when it comes to specifically answering that question that I posed at the beginning is how can America address the drugs and people smuggled in the country by Mexican drug cartels. The most likeliest course of action and my assessment is we're going to see little to no change. I think we're going to see the main maintenance of the status quo. The reason? There's a lack of political will. Let me give you a real example of what a political will looks like. We just sent $40 billion plus now to Ukraine, kind of at the drop of a hat because there was political will behind that, both parties, Republicans and Democrats, but when we can have the discussion of funding a border wall, it's like pulling teeth between the Democrats and Republicans. Or even the ICE agents who work these issues, they're demonized by the certain political voices in the country, which is why I don't think we'll see much of a change here on this issue in, tra- in dealing with drug cartels. Now, the most dangerous course of action, this would be our southern border being overloaded with migrants in an instance, for example, and a terrorist slips through. I haven't talked about with the exception of what you, if you could label cartels as terrorist organizations or not, but this is the most dangerous scenario I see. And I I highlight it because I'm unsure if cartels have the motivation to knowingly put a terrorist through one of their tunnels or one of their routes ...into the United States knowingly that that terrorist is wanting to attack the United States government. To me, that would defeat the ultimate goal of the the cartels, which is to maximize income. However, if a terrorist was able to use the the political uh, push and pull back and forth between Republicans and Democrats... ...at a moment whenever there was a, a, a lack of strength at the southern wall and an influx of migrants much like we've seen uh, in the last uh, year and a half with the new administration. In that instance, the most dangerous course of action I could see is that we, there would be a, um, a terrorist organization being able to slip through one of its operatives. And this wraps up how I view the car- drug cartel issue and where we're going to see it moving forward. Unfortunately, if anyone like myself knows people who have struggled with opioids or any other drugs, uh, it is not just a le- you know a local dealer issue. This has effects th- across the southern border and across the world. Uh, and it's all tied together to American foreign policy. So ultimately, it's going to be American policymakers that are have to decide of how badly do they want to protect Americans from these cartels, and how much do they want to protect uh, Americans from the 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 lack of. Community, the lack of um, perhaps employment opportunities that are leading so many young people and, so, and for multiple generations to use these drugs that are just destroying their futures It's truly a, a horrific issue. Drug cartels are one aspect of it. I hope you understand a little bit more on how they operate and what we're doing about them. But ultimately, the the drug issue in the United States uh, is one that's going to have to be solved from the community level all the way up to the national level. I'm quite convinced of that. As always, I hope you are picking up what I'm putting down. Thanks for joining me tonight. I am Matt Parker. This is Brief Before Impact.